Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Excuse me. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word, and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. God's love for us, for all of us, for the whole world, is unconditional, infinite, eternal. Now that might, not seem, like, that might seem like an obvious thing for me to say, but it's really not. It is actually incomprehensible to our human minds. Think about the most true human love you've ever known. Even if you couldn't see them, there were always some limits and conditions and boundaries to that love. Think about the most loving person you know. Even they have some person at some time that try as they might, they don't love well or don't love at all. And there are some people we might justifiably say don't deserve our love. If we really think about God's unconditional, infinite, eternal love, it seems so irrational. It seems too good to be true. But the good news from the lips of the prophet Isaiah is that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways as the heavens are higher than the earth. And as the English priest and hymn writer Frederick William Faber wrote, God's love is broader than the measure of our minds. My friends, God's love never changes, but our minds have to. Our minds have to be opened wider and wider and wider to love as we walk with Jesus and as the Holy Spirit blows through our lives. The disciples believed in their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah, but they struggled to make logical sense of His life and His death. They struggled to make logical sense of the, His downwardly mobile life and His humiliating death. When we read the Gospels, we hear Jesus tell the disciples over and over again that He will be betrayed and that He will suffer and that He will die. And we don't understand why they just can't get that through their thick heads. In the hours before today's story, this story happens actually on Easter Sunday or maybe the day after, depending on how many hours have passed. Jesus has been resurrected and shown Himself to the disciples three different times. 
including on the road to Emmaus, where he explained how all of the scriptures described what had just happened. But that still wasn't enough. Jesus still had to open their minds so that they could rightly understand the scriptures, so that they could rightly understand the love of God. The most common image of God in the Hebrew Bible is that of a divine king of kings and lord of lords ruling from heaven. You heard that in Psalm 47 that we use for our call to worship. For the Lord, the Most High, is an awesome king, great over all the earth. This makes sense for a people who lives in a world ruled by kings and divided into kingdoms. But Israel was making an important theological distinction and assertion. It is our God who is really in control, not the rulers of this world. Therefore, Israel's kings, earthly kings, were understood to be chosen and anointed by God and charged with being God's representatives on the earth, protecting the people and ruling with God's righteousness and justice. But even David, their most beloved military leader and poet and their best king, could not live up to this. And when the holy city was conquered and the king was dethroned and the palace and the temple were destroyed and the people were taken into exile into strange lands and made to submit to foreign rulers, the people longed for God to raise up a new king in Jerusalem again. A king who would defeat Israel's enemies and return the people to shalom. That Hebrew word that doesn't just mean the absence of conflict, but wholeness and peace and health and abundance. They longed for a Messiah to save them. And Messiah literally in Hebrew means anointed one. And it is most often used in the Old Testament to talk about the king. So when the disciples heard the word Messiah, that's what they would expect and hope for. An earthly king like David who would expel the Romans and their armies and give them independence and peace and prosperity. But that is not how Jesus the Christ or Messiah was going to save His people. Jesus brought shalom, God's reign to earth, not through the use of force, but entrusting in the power of God's love to change hearts and minds through teaching and healing and welcoming all people, especially those who had been rejected and despised. Jesus rejected political power. When his following got too large and they tried to make him a king by force, he quietly slipped away through the crowds. When Judas, the one who would betray Jesus, the one whom Jesus should have called enemy, came to dinner, he washed his feet and he gave him bread. And later that night, when Judas brought with him the religious leaders and agents of Rome to arrest him, Jesus told the disciples to put down their swords. He was not going to shed blood to save his own life, even if it was justified in the wisdom of the world. He would not lead an armed insurrection like would-be messiahs before and after him. Jesus would save by forgiving his killers as he died, and offering the forgiveness of sins after He was resurrected. As He told His disciples in John, greater love has no one than this, to lay down His life for His friends. For God so loved 
the world. All of this is obvious to us, and the disciples had witnessed all these things themselves. But even as the resurrected Jesus stood before them, they still struggled to make sense of a Messiah like that. It felt like an irreconcilable conflict with their biblical worldview. So Jesus had to open their minds so that they could see more. So that they could see that all along, Scripture testified to a God who would save the world not by, would save the world by dying willingly, forcing, forgiving his enemies instead of retaliating against them. Thus, it is written, the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third days. Disciples had to have their minds opened and changed so that they could actually preach good news. But this wasn't all. The disciples had to have their minds changed about the people they were going to preach to. About whom should be included in God's salvation. Whom should be included in God's family. The prophets wrote that one day when the Messiah came that all peoples would worship together. And some of them have even, had even contended that all people, even non-Jews, even Gentiles, should be understood to be included in God's blessings, not just on that day, but even now. But most Jews at the time of Jesus, including the disciples, would have probably believed that Scripture taught them that they and they alone were God's chosen people. And that meant they should literally keep themselves separate from anyone who wasn't a faithful Jew. But Jesus' love would not be bound by this conventional wisdom. He spent time preaching and healing in Samaria when most Jews would have taken the long way around so that they wouldn't accidentally be in the presence of a Samaritan and become what they would consider both spiritually and physically unclean. You know that Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, asking her for a drink of water, and touching that same bucket would have made him unclean, by the way. Jesus healed the Roman centurion's servant. Jesus healed the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman whom His people would have called a dog. And while this would have seemed to most Jews to be a contradiction of the Scriptures that the law was based on, Jesus was embodying what He knew the Scriptures to have been saying all along. God was never just the God of the Jewish people. The Messiah had come to save those other people too. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So the disciples had to change their mind, not only about God, but about the people whom they would have considered outsiders and enemies whom God always loved anyway. But Jesus knew this was too much for them to believe all at once, much less to understand. And so He told them to wait. He said to stay here in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. They will wait for 50 days for the Spirit to come at Pentecost. And the Spirit will speak through them in every language of the world. We will talk about that next week. And as the disciples move out from Jerusalem, the Spirit will bring them into relationship with Gentiles. The Spirit will push Paul, a former Pharisee, to defy the logic that told him and his peers that 
these new converts would have to become Jews and follow the law to really be loved by God and included in the church. The Holy Spirit will lead Peter to the home of an Italian man named Cornelius, and he will enter his house and eat at his table, even though this will violate the Jewish law. But by the Spirit, he will say, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And then Peter will baptize this Gentile man and every member of his Gentile household, and he will see the Holy Spirit fall on them too. This will change Peter's mind, and he will bring his story to the Jerusalem council to argue for full Gentile inclusion in the church. But for Peter, like the rest of us, this will be a one-step-forward, two-steps-back journey. Later, he will backslide, as we used to call it in the Baptist church, and he'll refuse to eat with Gentiles, and Paul will call him out. And the whole rest of the New Testament will be this way, as Gentiles and Jews struggle to figure out what it means to share a messy life and a messy faith together. This book is filled with stories about disciples and church leaders and everyday followers of Jesus having to change their minds about Scripture and about God and each other again and again and again. So why do I tell you all of this? Because I believe that God continues to write this story with us. The Holy Spirit wants to change our minds about Scripture and about God and about our neighbors too. It will always be this way because God's love is and always will be broader than the measures of our minds. The Holy Spirit is closer to us than our next breath, and yet, as Jesus tells Nicodemus, it is like the wind, it blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it goes from or where it comes from. We don't know where it comes from, and we don't know where it will go. I'm not saying that we should change our minds to accommodate the changing winds of our culture, though I think we have to be humble enough to believe that the Holy Spirit can be just as present and powerful outside of the church and outside of the lives of Christians as it is in the church. Do we really think God will stay put in our boxes? But what I'm really saying is this. God's love for us, for all of us, for the whole world, is unconditional, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. And our minds will never be open enough or big enough. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will change your mind about God. God is not a tyrant or a warrior bent on retaliation, but a lover who gave Himself for you on the cross. Yes, indeed, Jesus is the crucified and re resurrected Messiah who offers mercy and forgiveness to you and the whole world. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will change your mind about yourself. That you will believe 
despite whatever voices you hear within and without, that you are worthy of God's incomprehensible, unconditional, infinite, eternal love. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will change your mind about other people. God has reconciled all people to Himself through Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone. No one is excluded. No one is beyond redemption. No one is an enemy of God. If God's love is unconditional, who are we to disagree? Come, Holy Spirit, for without You, nothing else matters. And with You, nothing else matters. Amen.